appreciate you guys for coming back to the Soil Matters. Dr. Gerald Polak, thank you so much for coming, my friend. You are an amazing man with amazing knowledge. I'm going to jump off and let the host take over. So have a great show. Well, sir, it is a true honor. Uh, I've been a big fan of your work for years, although uh, I have lost track of where you're at at this point. Um, kind of gone off some <laughs> deep ends myself into soil biology, chemistry, and just trying to keep up with the interactions. Is, it's been a challenge, to say the least, but um, still, it's an absolute honor to have you here today. And uh, I'd love to have you just first like explain how you got on to this uh, or how you started the work, and then kind of bring us up to speed as to where you are now. Okay, how 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 did I start? Well, um, I, I I've not been studying uh, water um, for my my entire career. I was actually studying muscles, muscle contraction um, at at the molecular level, how the muscle proteins mostly actin and myosin. Uh, how they uh, interact with one another to produce force. There, there was a, th uh, a theory, the theory, theory is still uh, uh, put forth by a distinguished and famous Nobel laureate whose name was Sir Andrew Huxley. And Huxley was a famous guy. Um, uh, he, he was a member of the Huxley family. He, uh, he won a Nobel Prize for earlier work. Uh, he was knighted by the Queen, uh, Sir Andrew Huxley. He was president of the Royal Society. He was master of Trinity College, Cambridge. And when he walked into the room, there was a hush. It was, it was as though God walked in, uh, you know. And so <laughs> everybody uh, pay attention. Uh, and, and we had evidence that his theory was bankrupt. It didn't, didn't make any sense at all didn't fit the evidence. We had a lot of evidence that it didn't work. And, and mostly um, I came, came to realize that not only his theory, but uh, other, other viewpoints uh, made the presumption that all of those proteins inside muscle were operating in a vacuum. Water was nowhere to be found. You'd never find any mention of water um, in any theory of muscle contraction. And, uh, that, that seemed that seemed absurd because um, you know because uh, uh, a muscle is mostly it's mostly water um, it's roughly like other organs in the body roughly two thirds water and if you if you translate that into um, into the number or the fraction of molecules in other words if you take the muscle and and line up all the proteins or uh, line up all the molecules and start counting, more than 99 out of 100 are going to be uh, water molecules because the water molecules are so small. And uh, if you think of how, much, how many you need to make up that two-thirds volume, it's, it's a lot of water molecules. So it seemed preposterous that the most prevalent molecule sitting inside the muscle um, it, it, uh, there was a pretense as though it doesn't exist. doesn't make sense, right? Uh, I mean, you know. Um, so um, at the same time that I began uh, thinking in, in that realm, I got an invitation uh, to 
to to uh, go to a, a a conference, and the conference was to commemorate the life of a guy named Ernst. Ernst was a, a well recognized biophysicist, um, a Hungarian guy, and he. He'd passed a couple of years before that, and the idea was to have a symposium in his honor. So there were people who represented each each one of his two areas of, of expertise. One was muscle, one was water. So I was the one who was invited uh, to present on water. And of course, I presented on water, and and I, I think the reception was okay. Uh, but after me came presentations on, on water, and... The main presenter uh, was a guy named Gilbert Ling. I'd heard of Gilbert Ling before, uh, but not 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 very much. Anyway, Gilbert presented his ideas, um, and his idea was that inside the cell, uh, be it animal cells or plant cells or whatever cells you like, the water was not liquid water. It's it's not um, the stuff that I have here. It actually, he said. He said that, and presented evidence, of course, that the water molecules were lined up like soldiers at attention. Um, now, in, in liquid water, that's not the case. At least as people understand liquid water, the molecules are randomly oriented and they're bouncing around a fierce number of times uh, each second or millisecond or even even femtosecond. Um, and and um, uh, so this is a directly at odds with uh, the current view of how cells work because uh, the current view that you read in any any textbook is that it's liquid water that's inside your cells. And if it's liquid water, it, um, it, it, you begin to build on the concept that all of the solids inside the cell, which are doing the work of the cell, and at least in theory, they can move around freely. But in this kind of water, they can't. This is uh, sort of like a crystal um, that exists inside. And it was not only Gilbert Ling who made his presentation, but perhaps a dozen or so people uh, who had evidence to, put, to support the point of view of Gilbert Ling. I was really impressed. Um, I thought, my goodness, if this is right, everything else is wrong. Basically, all of biology, everything we learn, everything in the cell biology book or biochemistry book, it can't be if the, if this is right. So, so naturally, it you got my attention, and, um, and lots of things capture my my attention. I don't always have confidence that I'm uh, intrigued by what I what should intrigue me, and so I I took one of his books. By that time, I think he published three or four books. By that time, uh, I think six or seven before he passed at age 100 a year or two ago. And I gave it to some of my students to look at, uh, some of the students who I know might might be involved. And the feedback was the same uh, from all of them. This is so important, they said. And it looks like he's got a, quite a bit of evidence um, that, you know, he might actually be right. And so... Um, gaining support from my students and such. I, I felt I was on a good course and, you know, I scratched my head. That's why I'm missing a lot of, a lot of hair. Uh, I said to myself, what, what can I do? What can I do, uh, you know, to, to explore this? Uh, uh, 
Ling was not a popular guy, you know. He he was he was on the fringe, and people on the fringe don't don't really get a whole lot of acceptance. They get derision mostly, and um, and that was the case for Gilbert. So so what I decided to do first is write a book. Why why would I write a book? Um, Gilbert Ling already wrote three or four books on uh, on this stuff, presenting massive amounts of evidence. Um, and the reason I thought I'd write a book is that Gilbert's writing is not um, easily penetrable. You might say it's virtually impenetrable. If you have expertise in all the areas talking about, you can read through uh, quite readily, I suppose. I don't have expertise in all those areas. But if you don't, it's a real challenge. And I, I found out that that Gilbert Ling, the genius that he was, he'd sit down at the typewriter or the word processor uh, and, and he'd bat something out and he'd send it off to the publisher. Uh, the idea, the word, the word editing uh, seemed to be like a foreign language uh, to him. He, he, he never heard the word editing. Why would he want to edit? You know, it just, and, and so um, I decided that what I'm going to do is, is to write a book that describes the ideas of Gilbert Ling in, in, in a way that perhaps is understandable because it's so important. You know, people need to know about it. They, they, it, it, they shouldn't be struggling their way through. They should be able to read it. Uh, you know, if the ideas make sense, uh, uh, it should be easy to, to, um, easy to expose in a way that's understandable. So that was 2001. My book was called Cells, Gels, and the Engines of Life. And Gilbert Ling hated it. Um, he hated it because it kind of, he felt it sort of stole his thunder. Um, and um, that certainly was not, not my intent. Uh, but, you know, Gilbert wanted his name mentioned in every paragraph, if not every sentence. Um, and you know the book book was essentially uh his work and it was presented exactly as such um so we um we we suddenly gilbert became my enemy and it took me a decade at uh, great attempts to restore our friendship which i finally was able to do when when we at a conference presented really clear evidence for the long range ordering of water he was practically jumping out of his seat um, with it, with excitement, and and suddenly we we became friends again. Anyway, uh, that that's how I I got onto it. Of course, as soon as as soon as I published the book, I I we I we wanted to do experiments, and and we started to do experiments, and we found. Um, um, I, I mean, I'll tell you about it, but I just just should mention that essentially, we we found that. Um, the idea of structured or ordered water, uh, we, we could affirm that that was correct, but we found, we found some differences, some differences that are substantial enough uh, that they, they're really important. And, and that's when I, uh, I wrote the second book. It's called The Fourth Phase of Water. And that book um, has become uh, enormously popular uh, if you look at reviews, for example, on Amazon, a lot of people are are uh, really interested in this stuff, and it's gratifying. You know, it took a while to write it. I, in my vocabulary, is the word editing, and uh, 
editing is necessary if you want something to to um, to achieve clarity. So anyway, uh, I'm, I gave you a long answer to a short question. Uh, that's how we got involved. So we've we've been doing it. We switch fields from the molecular mechanism of muscle contraction uh, to um, to the structure of water and what it all means. Uh, and it's been uh, uh, well, nothing short of uh, exciting is not the right word. I I, I can't. I can't exactly say what is the right word, but I tell you, I wake up in the morning so eager uh, to go on and do whatever, whatever the day demands or requires. So that's how we got into it. Um, I think I should stop there because I took up too much time to give you to give you the um, ancient history. No, that's that's exactly what we're looking for. It's a it's a foundational a starting point and. You know, and I think it's important that, that people understand, you know, how you ended up there in, in that fascinating new realm uh, of understanding water. And um, just for the sake of the audience, can you can you kind of briefly explain or take your time? We've got plenty of it about structured water, because this has always been a point of contention among a lot of people as to, you know, was was Rudolf Steiner real? Did, is it important to stir in different directions? So if you could um, just Speak about that for a couple of minutes. Well, I, I can't tell you if Rudolf Steiner was correct. Um, I, I, I will get to, um, uh, if we have time, to a point of, uh, uh, that Rudolf Steiner was mentioning about the heart. Uh, he said the heart is not a pump. Well, I'm not sure I, I, uh, I agree totally with that point of view, but we have a lot to say about the heart. And uh, if we get to it, um, uh, I'd be... Uh, excited and happy to 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 talk about it but oh, we will. we'll definitely get to the heart well sure. okay if you if you like uh, it's part of the heart of the story so to speak but um okay so uh, so what did we find and what's interesting and what well well i guess i can encapsulate uh, before i go into a, a bit of detail encapsulate it in saying saying that water actually ha contains energy uh, we don't think of water containing energy, but we have evidence that water contains uh, energy, even direct evidence uh, uh, for that. And how, how, how does this come about? Well, well, first thing, uh, one of the findings uh, that I think is, is uh, really, really important. We, we, started, we started doing experiments based on Gilbert Ling's uh, I ideas. We didn't know any better. Um, uh, you know, and we were novices coming from a different field. And uh, Gilbert Ling's idea that the water is inside the cell is structured, means it's like a crystal. Now, crystals uh, have a tendency to be pure. So, for example, uh, ice. So if you take water that has contaminants in it, uh, the water will push out to become ice. The uh, ice is a pure crystal. To gain purity, it's got to get rid of all, all of those impurities. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a pure crystal. So as ice forms uh, from, from the water, it pushes out it pushes out the contaminants, solutes of uh, various sorts. And so, so we're thinking, we're, we're looking for somehow a preparation that contains water where, where uh, particles or molecules are pushed out. In other words, they're not there. Uh, and, and we found it uh, quickly. We found that right next to, uh, we started 
using gels. And we, we put the gel, it's a chunk of gel, in, into a, a water, and the water contained particles, uh, microspheres, little tiny spheres that are suspended in the water. And we looked in the microscope and, and, and we saw that there was a region right adjacent to the gel that contained no microspheres. And, and we watched it and uh, progressively that region grew bigger and bigger. It kept pushing out microspheres and it wound up to be a very substantial size. We thought maybe this is what Gilbert Ling was talking about. Maybe this is a region, um, a liquid crystalline region where there's order and because there's order, um, it, it gets, gets rid of um, uh, particles. And we spent several years looking at all different kinds of properties. And, and indeed, it, it was true that uh, the properties of this kind of uh, water, we called it first exclusion zone water because it excluded. So exclusion zone, easy, easy to remember in the US anyway. Uh, EZ doesn't work as well, easy. Uh, and later, when we knew more uh, about it, we realized that's not a great name, although it stuck. A fourth phase is maybe more appropriate. So one of the principal findings was that this region uh, was not neutral. Now, Gilbert Ling's idea that water molecules um, are organized, water molecules are neutral, you can stack water molecules, you know, from here to the moon and you'll never get negative charge. Uh, but we found experimentally by sticking electrodes directly into this region that it was typically, it was negatively charged. So, um, so Gilbert Ling, unfortunately, uh, it couldn't be right uh, in, in, in the exact interpretation of how this structure is. And, and uh, since it had negative charge, um, we look for, you know, you can't, you're starting with water molecules, which are neutral, um, and you find a region of negative charge. And therefore, you know, it goes without saying that you need to find another region with positive charge because the positive charges can't just vanish. You have to have an equal number of positive charges as negative charges because it all starts from neutrality. So we found where the positive charges were. They were immediately uh, adjacent to this exclusion zone. So, so you, have, um, um, you have a gel, that's right here, and, and next to the surface of the gel, you've got an exclusion zone, negative. And beyond that, in the water, ordinary water, you've got a lot of positive charges, a lot of protons or hydronium ions, if, if you will, which means you got a battery. You got a battery, you'd think, well, hey, wait a second. This is, a, this is a, a battery made of water. Um, uh, you can demonstrate that it's a battery. Uh, you just take two, two electrodes, which we did, um, to, uh, one in the negative, one in the positive, um, and you connect it to a load. We connected it to a LED, a light emitting diode, you know, and voila, you can light the LED. So uh, de demonstrably, it it means that it's got energy. Uh, the water, um, the water somehow breaks up in, into negatively charged exclusion zone, fourth phase water, and positively charged ordinary water. And okay, 
So that that's different from what Gilbert Ling had found, and, and we were naturally excited to find that. However, the question arose, if you got a battery, you know, everybody knows that batteries need to get charged, right? Uh, you, you can take your cell phone, and if you forget to plug it in um, during the night, the next morning, you, you can't communicate with, with your cell phone. So, but uh, this is a generality. Whenever you have a battery, you, you need to uh, charge it or recharge it or, or whatever. So, so the question arose, well, where does the energy come from? And we couldn't figure it out. That's another reason why I've lost a lot of hair. I was scratching. Couldn't figure it out. Um, and one day, one day, it was a, an undergraduate student who was working in the lab who figured it out for us. So he's sitting at the lab bench or standing at the lab bench. This was a tall bench. And he had a chamber with a gel in it or polymer, I don't remember. Uh, I think it was, we began using the polymer Nafion, uh, which gave rise to very nice stable exclusion zones. So we used it a lot. And he's playing with it, looking at the exclusion zone. And I don't remember what the intent of his experiment was, uh, but he found, he found um, uh, um, a lamp right, right next to him. It was one of those gooseneck lamps. And he picked up the lamp and he shined it on the chamber. And he called me in to see what he'd found. And, and what he found is that the region of the exclusion zone that was illuminated, it grew like crazy. Um, so I, I came in and I said, wow, this is really quite an observation. Why don't you remove the lamp or turn it off and let's see what happens. And, and so he did. And, and that region that had greatly expanded retracted back to its initial it took some tens of minutes but it looked like it was reversible so it didn't take um, it didn't take a rocket scientist you know this is middle school stuff you shine the lamp a uh, light and light is building it so maybe light photons are responsible for the energy um and and of course you know you think about plants then um uh, you think about photosynthesis and such, and and in, in, indeed, uh, I think that what what we found is is perhaps directly um, uh, related to the first step of photosynthesis, uh, the splitting of water's charge into positive and, and negative through light. So so it has direct relevance, I, I I believe. Anyway, we found that the battery is charged and it. In our experience, we, of course, wanted to find out, uh, well, light has many wavelengths. Which wavelengths are we talking about? Um, so we did real experiments, um, and we checked it a, a wide range of wavelengths. At the short end, uh, starting with ultraviolet, uh, through the visible spectrum, uh, on to the longest wavelengths, infrared. UV did nothing. Actually, it does something we found very recently, but it didn't grow the exclusion zone. Uh, visible, same thing, except when we began to get to the long wavelengths, to the reds. Uh, the reds, we've, we found, um, the, the reds tended to build the easy a little bit. But beyond that, longer wavelengths, the infrared, wow, it was like gangbusters. A very, very small amount of infrared light, infrared energy, uh, hugely expanded the exclusion zone or the fourth phase. So, um, so we knew that 
is this is really really important and you know and most people don't don't understand exactly about infrared you know most people think well wh where do you, where do you get infrared energy they you kind of think well um you know um you turn on the range and the, the, the coils on which you put the pot, they glow bright orange and they generate heat. And people say, well, that's generating infrared energy. And it's true. However, infrared energy comes from virtually everything. So if I, if I look at uh, you people on my, on, on my screen, if we turned off all the lights, um, in, in your rooms or studios so that you couldn't see anything and your, your cell phone camera couldn't record anything. If you whipped out an infrared camera, which is basically like a regular camera, except the sensor is sensitive not to visible light, but infrared light, you get a beautiful image. And, and that's, why, that's why this is used um, uh, for night viewing, for example, by the military, because everything is generating infrared energy. And, and because everything is generating infrared energy, you, you can see what's going on, but also that infrared energy is available to build easy water. Therefore, almost always, if you, if you, have, um, if you have water and the right kind of nucleating surface, we, we found it's, it's uh, gel surfaces and polymers, uh, biological surfaces, they need to be hydrophilic or water loving. And then you get easy. So you got the energy available. Uh, and, and therefore, you, you, if you got the right kind of surface, which is most surfaces, not all, uh, it means you're going to have some easy water. And the more infrared energy you have, the more easy water uh, you'll have. But there's always some uh, if the situation is, is right. And also inside your body, um, you know, you're generating heat, heat from metabolism. And that heat also is essentially, it's not exactly the same, but uh, essentially the same as infrared energy. So in terms of you um, and your, your bodies, you got lots of water, you've got surfaces that generate easy water, and you've got energy, infrared energy coming from inside of you and outside of you. So you're going to be full of infrared energy, uh, full, of, full of easy water, I'm sorry. And of course, the same is true of plants. Um, you know, um, come springtime, when it gets warm, when infrared energy uh, becomes really abundant, easy is going to grow. And so the cells uh, that exist inside the plants um, are also filled with, with easy water. And um, I, I, I didn't say this, but um, um, I, I treat this in, in the first of the two books, The Cells, Gels, and the Engines of Life. The way, the way cells appear to function um, is in, in, when, when cells are in their dormant or relaxed uh, or not doing anything state, um, the proteins inside are in their elongated state and the water is in the easy state. Now, nothing can happen when the water is in the easy state. It's sort of like embedding something in ice. It's not ice, but it's crystal just like ice. Now, if the cell wants to do something, uh, for example, if a muscle cell wants to contract, um, 
uh, or some cell and wants to shorten, so the plant bends or elongates, or whatever. Um, the water needs to convert, uh, and it converts. I, I marshal a lot of evidence that when the cell goes into action, the water converts from easy water to ordinary liquid water, where things can move around, things can happen. And then when the action is over, it returns back to the initial state. And that, by the way, is the energy requirement requiring uh, state. So, um, so that uh, I, I just wanted to mention the energy because energy is 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 really important. And um, uh, well, I, I think maybe I should um, stop there and wait for your next question because uh, you know I can go on and on and on. Take, but I, take a drink too. Moisten that mouth. You've been doing a lot of talking, my friend. I would be great. <laughs> so um, you, you uh, talked about the, the negative and positive charges, which is really interesting. So in, in a cellular, um, in a, inside of, say, just any cell, uh, usually have an inner and outer wall, is the, is the easy water pushing the, the protons uh, out to the outer cell wall so that it gets that division? Yes. Uh, so what happens? Um, um, I, 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 I guess um, uh, I've thought mostly about animal cells or humans rather than plants, but I think the principle is going to be the same. So, so what happens with us um, is is um, um, we start with water, which is which is neutral. Now. Uh, the water transitions into easy water, which typically is negative. And what about what, what happens to the positive? You might think, well, they're just outside the cell. And, and, and basically there is because, you know, the cell is negatively charged. This is true in animal cells as well as plant cells. Plant cells are typically uh, minus 100, minus 150 millivolts. Animal cells uh, not quite so negative. And so your question is, well, what happens to the positive charges? Well, in animals, uh, for, first, they, they um, um, well, let me put it another way. Every time you breathe out, um, you breathe out uh, carbon dioxide and you breathe out water. Water plus CO2 gives you carbonic acid, H2CO3. Carbonic acid, it's got lots of protons, it's an acid, and so those protons get exhaled. So with each, each breath, each exhalation, you get rid of protons, you get rid of positive charges, and we remain negatively charged. So it's not in the plants as well as the animals, uh, the, uh, the, this is true. So what you have inside the cell is you've got a lot of negative charges, and the, that, I argue, uh, contrary to prevailing views, which deal with channels and pumps. Uh, it's the negative charge of the easy water, I argue, I have argued, which is responsible for the electrical potential of the cell. Um, and I believe, I believe that's true. And, you know, if you want evidence, I can, I can, I can talk about it. So, so, so that's the reason our cells and plant cells are negative. Now, where does the energy come from? Well, if you've, if you've got a cell that's filled with negative charges, you ask the question, well, what do negative charges want to do? They want to get away from each other, right? They repel. And that, that proclivity uh, 
for those charges to escape from one another, that's potential energy. Um, you know, you, you've squeezed all the negative charges together and they want to separate because they repel. So the fact that they're squeezed together inside, inside the cell, that is the energy we're talking about. Um, it's potential energy and it's important for the plant and important for, um, uh, for, for animals. So, um, so returning to the plants, which I know is, is, is most interesting for, for you people, you know, when, when spring comes, um, uh, lots of, lots of, um, uh, uh, warmth and lots of infrared energy, which means, um, that easy water is going to build, right? And we found uh, we found something that I believe is directly relevant uh, for for plants. You know, a question has always been um, in the xylem of the plants. Uh, xylems are conduits uh, that bring water from the soil uh, up and um, uh, up the plant. And some plants, as as we know, like redwood trees, are hundred meters tall, three hundred feet tall, and this is a a mighty column of of water, you know, if you if you took a pipe that's a hundred feet tall and you filled it with water, the pressure that you'd feel at the bottom is enormous, right? So, but somehow the water works its way up to the top. Otherwise, the leaves wouldn't be green. Um, and and so so what's going on there? Well, uh, and there I'll tell you about a discovery made by another student. Undergraduate students are amazing. Sometimes you know they're they're so creative. Um, they'll do anything. Uh, hey, you know, I'll try this or I'll try that, and I encourage them. Always copy accidents. I think is how you uh, you term that, Gerald, if I remember correctly. It, it was a happy accident. Yeah, it was an accident because this particular student, um, uh, I, I assigned. Well, I, I don't usually assign. I, I discuss a few possible projects, and the student chooses what what the student likes to do. Uh, it works best that way. So, um, yeah, happy accident. So I asked him, we, had just, we have just found that uh, the polymer naphion, which we had been using quite a lot, we've been using sheets of naphion, and we just found out the naphion also comes in tubes, like a straw made of naphion. So I asked the student, I said, you know, uh, we, we know that a flat sheet of naphion grows easies very nicely, but if it's curved, as, as, as in uh, this tube, does the curvature impair the ability to grow EZs? So he did the experiment and he quickly found out, no problem, lots of EZs um, in there. And I was away on a trip somewhere, I don't know, Europe, whatever, giving lectures. And, and, and he had, he had he'd already solved the problem. He answered the question and I wasn't there. And he thought, okay, well, I got to do something. So, so he started doing experiments on his own, and um, and one day uh, when I when I had returned, uh, I was sitting in my office with a visitor, and the visitor was maybe less than compelling, and I was sort of hoping the meeting would end, and uh, fortunately, this same student uh, barges in. And I pretend that I'm irritated because, you know, he barged in and I'm speaking to somebody and he shouldn't interrupt that way. Uh, but he said, oh, I got something 
I thought I thought you'd want to hear it. It looks pretty interesting. Okay, so tell me what is it? I was actually delighted that he interrupted the conversation, but I did. <laughs> I love it. I, you know, I didn't want I didn't want to demonstrate it. And uh, um, okay, anyway, he said, you know, I looked at the the tube of naphion, just like a straw, horizontally situated in the chamber, covered by water. And he said the water kept flowing through the tube from one end to the other and it wouldn't stop. And he said, I, you know, I thought it was pretty interesting. I wanted to tell you that. And, and uh, so I thought if this is real and we quickly confirmed that it was real is really important because, because uh, it would seem usually what you need is a pressure difference or pressure gradient from one end of the tube to the other. But this tube was just lying in the chamber like this, a water equal height uh, above both ends of the chamber. And it just kept going and you need energy to do that. Uh, so where does the energy come from? So we had just found that about the infrared energy. And I know infrared energy is coming to the chamber. It gets absorbed because water loves to absorb infrared wavelengths. And that will, and that, that energy was uh, was getting transduced by the water into something that produces flow. And we began to understand exactly what the mechanism is, but it, it had something definitely to do with, with easy water um, and the separation of charges. So I was, you know, <laughs> this was really exciting. And, and the reason I mentioned this, uh, is uh, there, there are two reasons. First of all, it has something to do with a heart, which if you ask me, I'll tell you about. Um, but it has to do with plants too, because one of the questions in plants is uh, what what causes flow? There are all kinds of flow in plants, inclu including the one I mentioned before about, about the xylem and the flow from, from the roots all the way up to the top of the trees. Um, and by the way, you know, it's especially prominent in the spring and summer when you got lots of infrared energy. Uh, and, and I'm quite certain that the mechanism uh, that I'm talking about, that this student identified in the laboratory, well, he identified the phenomenon, maybe not the explanation, uh, that this is highly relevant uh, and that this is indeed the explanation for uh, all kinds of flows in plants. Uh, not just xylem, but phloem and any anything else. You know, it's hard to find the source or the reason for the flow, and I, I think we've I identified it. Uh, just to complete the story, if if anybody is um, is interested, what happens is um, an angular region of EZ forms just inside the vessel, outside too, but just inside the vessel, uh, negatively charged. It discharges protons, uh, as I was discussing earlier, as it forms. And so the protons are sitting, are sitting around the axis, the long axis, uh, um, uh, central axis of the tube. Um, and those protons are free. Uh, they wanna get away from one another. And, and the more protons that, that are released to the around the center line uh, of the vessel, the more uh, pressure you have to get out of there. They want to they want to get away from one another, so they'll exit either one end or the other end. And once they exit, um, they're pulling the water with them because the protons are actually attached to water, giving you hydronium ions. And so those positive hydronium hydronium 
hydronium ions are going out one end and dragging more water in and it just keeps perpetuating itself and if you've got if you've got energy if you've got infrared energy the more you have the faster it'll go uh, so so that's with regard to plants which i know is is um, a subject of, of great interest here but also if i may uh, i i want to talk about the heart is, do we we have okay. I I see a thumb. I was I was segueing you into this. <laughs> okay, onward upward. Well, because it's because we're really excited about that. We found something that I believe is is fundamental. Um, so um, l l let me just start with: Did you know that? Did you know that there there are there are half dozen papers um, that have appeared over over the past hundred years that nobody knows about because seems oddball but all the findings are similar and and each one is done in a, a a different experimental setup different animal whatever the heart stops and you expect the flow will stop too but the flow doesn't stop the flow continues and and um and you know uh, if the heart's not pumping but the flow continues you got to scratch your head and say what the hell is going on here because something is Something's not right, you know, and 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 people have not paid attention to um, to these papers. So something's going on. There must be some other source besides the heart that drives the flow. Uh, at least, you know, that's the logical uh, conclusion. But it didn't start that way. It started with me with a, a trip to Moscow. I was visiting my friend uh, Vladimir Vaikov, um, a guy who's um, vice chair of biochemistry at Moscow University, which is generally regarded as their number one university. And, and uh, he introduced me quickly to the guy down the hall. Um, and and uh, uh, Vladimir wanted me to hear what he had to say. Uh, and so the guy starts off by saying, with translations from Vladimir, saying, there's a big problem in the cardiovascular system. Big problem? I never heard of a problem. <laughs> you know, what's the problem in the cardiovascular system? In fact, I did my PhD work studying the cardiovascular system, studying the pressures and flows. And I guess I thought I had it all worked out. Um, we could understand the, the pressure waveform and the flow waveforms and the different regions. And, you know, so I came in um, with, uh, as, as the Israelis like to say, cutting the clouds with my nose, a bit arrogant, thinking, what on earth is this guy going to tell me? He says there's a big problem. Well, after five minutes, he had me convinced that there really was a big problem. Uh, so what's the big problem? The big problem is a plumbing problem. Um, if you think about it it's, it, it's nothing complicated. Red blood cells are six or seven micrometers in diameter. They have to pass through blood vessels capillaries that are down as small as three or four microns in diameter. So imagine, you know, <laughs> you've got a big blob that needs to pass through a, a thin tube. It, it's, it's like, um, well, like your toilet getting stopped up. You know, you, you got to take the plunger and you plunge and plunge and plunge. And finally you, you get it out of the way and the toilet's working again. Well, the same principle applies. You need energy. You need energy to take those red blood cells and, and bend them. 
squeeze them so that they can work their way through. And in, indeed, they're squeezed. You can see it on videos as they pass through those narrow capillaries. Um, they're squeezed through and, you know, it's just, <laughs> they've got to work their, their, their way, the way through. So, so these guys, Russians are really into calculations. They like to do that. Uh, they're highly quantitative. So these guys calculated how much energy do you need? And it turned out to be uh, nothing short of astronomical. They computed that if the heart um, were responsible for providing the energy to squeeze every one of those red blood cells, the amount of pressure that the heart would need to develop would be something like one million times the pressure that it actually develops. So you, you might say that's high blood pressure, but high to the extreme. So, so uh, you know, it's obviously, um, obviously the heart can't be responsible. Uh, uh, there must be something else that works together with the heart. I hesitate to say instead of the heart because heart, you know, it develops pressure and it seems to drive the blood. Um, despite what Rudolf Steiner uh, was saying about the heart not being a pump. Um, I, I don't know. It depends on your definition of a pump exactly, but it's got to play some role. But in addition, in addition to that, um, there's got to be something else. So what could that something else be? Well, you know, I hit my head over my head with a hammer. We just found in the laboratory um, that you take a, you take a tube made of uh, naphion, put it in, in the water, a hydrophilic tube, and the water, quote, spontaneously f flows through it. We know it's not really spontaneous. It, it has to do with easy buildup, which is then fueled by infrared energy. But we thought, I thought, maybe the same thing applies in, in everybody's cardiovascular system. Maybe the vessels themselves are driving the flow. And so... We went ahead and tested it uh, with positive results. And um, the guy who did the hands-on test is a student of mine who now got his PhD and went mo moved on. And uh, he told me afterward, when I first proposed the idea to him, he said he thought I must have been on some kind of drug. <laughs> because, I mean... Preposterous! Everybody knows that the heart is driven; uh, that the heart drives the circulation. I thought so too. You know, why would anybody have reason to doubt it? But as I've told you, there is reason uh, to doubt, especially the idea that you know, if you stop the heart, the flow continues low at a low value, but it continues. So something else must be pumping. So we, uh, um, we, we, he uh, did the experiment. He did it. Um, uh, on a chick embryo, so living circulation, a three-day-old chick embryo, the circulation is very well developed, uh, but the regulatory systems, the hormonal and neuronal regulatory systems are not yet well developed, so it's a pretty pure situation, and he developed a way of imaging various blood vessels so he can track, track the flow. First thing he did was he stopped the heart, um, and and indeed, the flow continued. So, so you know, there's got to be something else, right? Uh, you know, unless there's some kind of artifact, because, um, you know, uh, two plus two equals four. <laughs> um, you know, very simple logical deduction. Something else is at play. And then he tested the signature feature 
of what we found in the laboratory. And that is, if you add infrared energy, uh, it, the flow goes faster. And that's exactly what we found. And you take away the infrared energy, it returns back to, to where it was. So uh, we, we, we got that result and, and the paper has been submitted for uh, publication, but uh, we, we think that the results are, are sound. And, and the, the bottom line uh, from, from this is, is uh, you know, we, um, we all like to think that our circulation is driven by the heart um, but we found that it's driven not only by the heart, but also by the vessels themselves. Uh, for technical reasons, we can't say um, what percentage is driven by the heart and what percentage by the vessels. But, but we have reason to think that it's pretty substantial. Uh, uh, the vessel-driven uh, component is quite, quite substantial. And that it'll be in the future that we... Uh, attempt to find out what what the percentage actually is, but it's probably substantial. So this is it's kind of fun and and neat, you know. Uh, out of this, out of this simple uh, in, incursion into um, studying water and energetics and uh, whatever, we we come forth with um, with a finding that has pretty important implications. So I, that's one of the implications. And I'm, let me stop there because I think you guys have more questions. Uh, do you want to take a question? or Because I got, a, I got another one that I think is really All right. So did you ever try increasing the diameter of the nafton tube to see if the flow increased? Uh, well, we did. Uh, try increasing the diameter of the Nafion tube. By the way, we used other tubes. Uh, we created we created tubes. We took a gel, and as it was gelling, we put a wire in, and you pull the wire out, and you're left with a chunk of gel with a tunnel, uh, which is sort of like a tube, and you immerse it into um, suspension of water uh, with microspheres, and essentially you've got the same story. Um, and we found that we used more than a half dozen uh, different gels, and we found the same results. Sometimes it's faster, sometimes it's slower, um, but basically the same result. So it's a it, it's a, a general uh, re result. Yeah, we did. But if you, if you think about it, um, if you, it, when you increase the size, uh, we, of course we were eager to see what happens. Um, you don't get what you might uh, reflexively think. Um, you think that that the bigger, bigger, the larger the diameter, the the more hefty the flow. It doesn't turn out that way, uh, and the reason is the size of the exclusion zone. Um, um, it, it it doesn't it it increases, or I, I should say, it's got a maximum size uh, typically. Uh, depending on the the, uh, the material that you use, the nucleated growth, it's typically uh, 200 micrometers or 300 or 400 or 500 micrometers on, on that order. That is like maximum half millimeter. We've seen larger, but essentially. So you can make the tube um, a diameter half a mile and you'll still get still get this 500 or 400 micrometer size annular exclusion zone just inside the tube. Uh, and then 
as I, I said earlier, that as, as the EZ forms, uh, it, it, uh, protons are, are generated, and those protons go into the core of the tube. Um, and, and they're not going to be very concentrated if you have a large tube. Um, and therefore, you want them to be concentrated because the more concentrated they are, the more they want to get away from one another and, uh, and, and the more uh, brisk the flow. So the flow, the whole thing almost fails when you exceed a certain diameter. It, it, there's just not, not enough proton pressure to drive the flow. Uh, there are ways of getting around it, and we've actually explored ways. Uh, you can basically put a whole lot of tubes in parallel and increase the, uh, the flow that way uh, or simulate the tubing in different ways and, and, uh, um, and have multiple channels and in, increase the flow. I think that's what you were getting at. Um, so long answer to a short question. Um, there, there's, at least in our hands, there's a maximum uh, diameter beyond which if you go, you don't achieve anything. All right, Ab, do you want to fire one or should I throw another one at him? <laughs> let the man have a drink, okay? You can't, you can't. have a drink without that good water that you got beside you. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump in. I, I mean, this is phenomenal. And, and Jerry, your, your work had helped me pull in so much stuff probably some of it wrong, but, but some of it just, you know, bringing it in, whether it's better understanding of soil microbiology or, or even better understanding how nutrients come into plants. Um, but I did, I, I'm just wondering, what is the, cause, cause I know you've made some reference that easy water could, could potentially have memory, Yep. but, but how, how quickly, uh, how stable is easy water? Uh, is it something that's changing like that, or can it can it have stability? Um, the answer is yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's <Okay. sufficiently> vague. <laughs> uh, well, we, we haven't explored that question in great detail. However, I can tell you uh, of at least one uh, anecdotal kind of uh, uh, observation. Some guy called me. It was, this was a decade ago. And uh, he called me and uh, he told me he's been producing a kind of water. I, I don't like to mention names or products or whatever, but uh, he said that, that um, it's really, it has a tremendous curative uh, uh, power. And, uh, you know, and, and he told me, he told me actually it can cure. He, he had some, some neighbor who, um, who knew somebody who had irreversible kidney pathology uh, and and she started drinking the water that he was producing, and one month later she had no kidney pathology. Uh, so I, you know, I I said to him, I don't believe you. I actually did believe him, but I. Uh, so he said, oh, I'll send you the hospital records. So he sent me the hospital records, and it confirmed exactly what he said. And so I wanted to. Um, at at that time, we were a little bit uh, more open, willing to test other people's waters. Now. We're not because we're. If we did, we uh, so many people want us to test their waters, and we just don't have the people power. And if we start testing waters, that's all we'd be doing. So I have a generic answer, which is sorry, we can't we can't do that. But anyway, I wanted to test his water to see if it contained EZ because I 
I, I thought at the time and think even more so now that uh, if you drink easy water, um, if, if, if your cells are absolutely filled with easy water and the same with plants, if they're filled with easy water, they're going to be healthy. Um, and, and, and so I, we were busy and, and a sample of water that he sent sat on my desk for three months. We tested it after three months and we have a simple test for easy water and it contained a substantial amount of easy water. Um, so what does it prove? It doesn't prove too much because, um, because um, um, you know, it might've started with a huge amount of easy water and, and it declined over a few months to the level we measured. Or it could be that had no easy water and just sitting on my desk, somehow it acquired some, or it could be stable over a period of, so we don't know the answer. And it's not so easy to, um, uh, to do experiments to, to check that, but it is possible and we intend to do it. Uh, of course, one of the issues uh, as is true with so many, especially, um, you know, people who, who work in, in areas that are not, uh, uh, how, how do you say, settled science or uh, conventional science, it's really hard to get money. Um, and, and we need to carry out experiments like that. We need people. And, and to get people, you have to pay them, a postdoc or graduate student or something. And it's really hard. Um, and, and the more our work deviates uh, from mainstream norms, the more difficult it gets. We, we had a, a funder, a wealthy um, individual who found us and said, hey, you know, I like your stuff. I want to fund you. And he did so for, uh, I think, six or seven years. And he ran into some financial difficulty and he had to withdraw. So we're, we're now in the position of trying to find support. And it's not so easy to find support. Um, if you're doing something mainstream, it's easy. Or, you know, if you're doing reasonably decent work. But if you're challenging the mainstream, often if you try to get money uh, from, from uh, various agencies, federal agencies, uh, and, and, and you put a proposal in, typically they're going to get an expert in your field. And those are the very people under challenge, you know. And so um, it, it, it's obvious, uh, you know, it's like um, if the revolutionaries, uh, French revolutionaries uh, came to Louis XVI and said, you know, we got a bone to pick with you. Um, you, you can expect the response that uh, they get. And it's, it's essentially the same. So, so to carry out tests of the kind uh, that you'd like, and there, there are others of similar value, you need people power. And we, we simply um, don't have the money to get the people power. We, we hope that, you know, some people who maybe recognize the value of what we're trying to do uh, will, will help out. But it's a real challenge, I can tell you. I mean, um, I, I, I'm, I'm, my guess is that it is an incredibly dynamic thing. And that it it um, um, despite forming crystal structures, I think that that is is changing um, relatively fast in terms of the way nature would probably use it as a bit of a storage for energy, but then be able to use that energy and replace it every time. Um, and, and therefore, sorry, I I, I wasn't found. Therefore, you think it's stable or not no? Thinking that it's dynamic. That I know. Okay. Well, there's energies all, and, and it would it would help me understand that how water can be 
a conductor, right? Because because if if it didn't, uh, it wouldn't conduct as well if there was a, a zone that did not have that charge. Right? Well, yeah. So the question is, what is the conductivity of uh, of this material of EZ? And it, it's not so easy to um, uh, uh, measure or or to to decide what it ought to be. If you've got electrons in, in there and, and the zone is typically negatively charged and those electrons are freely movable, it might be that it has an extremely high uh, conductivity. Uh, but if everything is stuck and immobile, then it would have low conductivity. So uh, I think these experiments actually do need to get done. It's just like the experiments you're you're talking about it, about the stability. The stability depends to some extent on which state is more stable. Is the easy state more stable or is the liquid water state more, more stable? And the answer is not so clear. Uh, uh, probably there's an energy barrier between the two of those. And once you cross the energy barrier, you're down at a lower energy level. But which one is, which one is higher, which one is lower? You can debate that. But the, the answer is not so clear. And that would have to, a lot to do with the longevity of the easy water. And Leighton, do you mind if I ask one more question? It, it just, okay, I, I love the work, uh, I believe perhaps a graduate student, uh, but somebody from your lab, uh, Abha Sharma, did some interesting work around turmeric, uh, I think coconut water, um, Tylenol and Roundup. Okay. Um, do, you, do you mind uh, sharing a little bit of that sure. uh, that work with? And, sure, sure. And I also wondered, did you do any work with cannabis? Yes, we did, um, uh, but we were stopped because we didn't have a license to do it. it was stopped right in the middle, um, and and uh, we finally got a license. It took two years. The student who had been working on it. Um, uh, quit or graduate or whatever, and we mm -hmm. haven't gotten back to it. it, it simply, you know, we need people power, uh, yeah. and and it's on our agenda to do. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we we tested. You know, there are various agents. Uh, uh, you know very well from Ayurvedic times uh, and uh, from ancient China too. That you know that have been known to be uh, uh, health promoting, uh, used for many years and. Uh, the star of the show is turmeric, uh, but there's also holy basil uh, and coconut water and, and various other other agents. And and we wondered um, what what's the mechanism? How come they promote health? And and of course, you know, <laughs> uh, being being into easy easy water and such, uh, we thought one one possibility is that those agents build easy water. And if they build easy water, it means it, it means that um, we have more easy water in our body. Our cells are, are uh, filled with um, easy. And, and, um, and so we, we tested it. And we had one student test each, um, one student to one, one compound. And they all found pretty much the same thing. Um, and Abba Sharma was the sort of general, general director. Um, uh, experienced scientist, they found we found that um, it built easy water. That these substances built easy water, um, and it built it in in a fairly wide concentration range, the concentrations that we might expect to have in our body. 
So we could draw the conclusion that these agents have known to promote health. That the reason, or a, a possible reason, that they're, um, they promote health is, is they build easy water. Because the more easy water you have in your cells, uh, the healthier you are. Um, I mean, I, I didn't go into, into the evidence for that. But if you're short of easy water, your cells are not functioning very well. Because in order for your cells to function... Um, the essence of function, as I mentioned a little earlier, is it starts, you start with easy water, and the easy has to undergo a transition to ordinary liquid water and then back again. But if you don't have enough easy water, can't do it. Um, so you need, the cell needs to maintain a substantial amount of easy water. And that's exactly what turmeric does. It enhances, builds up easy water. The same thing that basil does. It it, it um, and probably many, many more agents that we haven't had time to, um, to discuss. But as a control, we decided to check a poison. Uh, and, um, um, well, you know, um, uh, Roundup is, is, is the um, classic uh, a poison. And, and so we, we, we tested it. Um, um, and and uh, glyphosate the, being the main ingredient and we tested we did it exactly the same way as we tested turmeric or basil we we added it in increasing uh, amounts and we found that at no concentration starting from zero all the, all the way up at no concentration did it enhance or build up easy water it always diminished the amount of easy water which means that um, it essentially dehydrates the cell because easy water is essentially hydration. So um, that was a control on our part. We, we expected to get a result similar, and we, we, we got that result. And we don't know. Um, we'd like to test some more poisons. Uh, I, I always hesitate because I, a lot of these experiments are done by young undergraduates without a lot of experience, and I don't like to expose them um, to... Um, to dangers like that in doing the experiments, but the experiments do need to be done. Um, it could be, uh, this is a total speculation, it could be that many poisons um, are poisons because they remove easy water. They diminish easy water. We don't know that. And they all have to be hydrophilic, right? Uh, when you say they all, what's um, Like everything that you were testing, uh, does that have to be hydrophilic or can it be? Well, um, it should it should be soluble in water, yeah. Or, or there are some tricks that you 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 can you can do. Um, you know, I, I mean, essentially anything that you can ingest. Um, mm -hmm. uh, there, I, I'm not so I don't know how familiar you are with all the agents that date back five thousand years from the um, Ayurvedic tradition, but there were smart guys and smart <laughs> people there. Um, they knew what they were doing, and uh, you know everybody, even five thousand years ago, wanted to be healthy, mm -hmm. and and so these develop over time, and uh, it's a total total shame that that so many of us are ignoring that because um, uh, <laughs> because um, it works, you know, um, and we think we understand now how it works uh, by building easy water in, in the cells. Would you would you classify easy water as an antioxidant? Uh, 
does it function in a similar way? Well, it's got negative charge. Um, and um, um, I, 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 um, I, I guess I hesitate. We, we thought about that, uh, you know, like a dozen years ago, but I, I don't, I don't re recollect um, all, all, the, um, all the evidence. Um, so may I pass on that one? No, I, sure. I, yeah. Okay. I'll turn you. it back to Leighton now. Thank okay. you. Yeah. So um, what you're saying about poison really explains a lot of what we see in soil biology. Um, that the, the, the cells or the, the, the organisms, the bacteria that can actually survive in those <clears throat> very toxic uh, environments tend to be very uh, limited in diversity. And oh. so... So what makes sense is that it, it literally is killing off the most advanced as well as a lot of the diversity of the biology. And it only makes sense that it's doing the same to us when we ingest it. So I think that that's a, that's a huge uh, indicator of, of the fact that it's more toxic than we're even talking about as far as, you know, whether it's an herbicide or pesticide or any of these sides, right? Well, yeah, uh, yeah, totally, um, uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Toxicity is, um, is well, well, well recognized. Uh, the, the champion of all that is uh, Stephanie Seneff, I'm, I'm not sure who, who has studied life as a, um, uh, more deeply than anybody on the, probably on the face of, of, of the earth and uh, understands the principles very well about it. Okay, I'm going to jump in. Can you say that name clearly so that we make sure that people get that name so they can uh, do the research on her as well, please? Stephanie is the first name. Senef, S-E-N-E-F-F. -E -E I'm not sure if it's one N or two Ns from MIT. I'm uh, sure they'll find it. But yeah, Stephanie Senef. She's... She's collected evidence. Uh, she operates um, intellectually at, at roughly three times normal speed. <laughs> and uh, uh, she knows every paper that's been produced. Um, and, and the evidence is massive about uh, the destructiveness of, uh, of, of all that. So yeah, I highly, highly recommend anybody who's interested in, in glyphosate to just Google under her name and you'll find um, um, huge volumes of evidence. Yeah. All right, so this is a deep one. <clears throat> um, Uh-oh. Yeah, it, you think that it can go the other way too? Well, I'm sorry. Energetically, uh, instead of being um, electron, uh, more proton. In other words, here, here's, my, here's my reason for asking that question. Um, there are uh, a, a lot of um, bacterium, um, archaea and two, that, that can live in very, very hostile environments yeah. uh, with these poisons. Like I've actually harvested grasses that have been exposed to 60 plus years of being exposed to these horrific herbicides. And I used, I, I extracted the soil and the soil bio, and I separated out the soil biology and then applied it to an area that had been devastated by, by Roundup. 
And what I noticed was that within a matter of weeks, uh, I, I, I did the, I tre treated the soil, uh, gently watered it for a couple weeks. Then I overseeded it, put some hay on it, and then put a biological inoculant on it, and it took off. So why I'm asking that is I wonder if, you know, this Roundup or glyphosate, whatever you want to call it, that, that is killing a lot of the diversity that I see, um, is there another one that, that actually can convert it and use it as an energy source? Because that's what it appears that it did. So wouldn't that kind of lead to, well, if, if, if glyphosate kills the easy water in certain bacteria, but it doesn't in others, that that bacteria may actually be the opposite of easy water? I uh, I can't answer that because I I I I don't know enough. But um, you know, generally in in science, uh, the principle of simplicity um, and um, simplicity would if if the principle applies, it's, it's called Occam's razor. Um, after Sir William of Occam, uh, I think the twelfth century or something like that. You know, simplicity is the essence of uh, of science and. So you'd expect that if it if if glyphosate worked in 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 one way in one plant, you wouldn't expect it to work the opposite way in, in another plant. I, I guess I could speculate uh, that that the competition is killed off. Uh, maybe some other species are more sensitive uh, to glyphosate than the ones you're talking about. So, with the competition for nutrients. Um, um, killed off, uh, maybe the species in question can flourish. I, I mean, that would be one, one uh, possible interpretation. Uh, I don't know enough details to, to comment uh, beyond that, but I, I would be surprised um, if, if glyphosate is, is, is so uh, uh, broadly uh, speaking uh, a poison, it I wouldn't expect it to do the opposite in one particular species. Well, it's just my speculation. I really don't know anything about uh, the particular circumstance or the subject, so I shouldn't speculate beyond what I what I know. <laughs> a small amount. <laughs> well, I'll be honest. Uh, a lot of the work I've done was speculative, and then came up with interesting results. Um, so, I, and I, and the only reason I I wanted to ask that, and I and I hope I asked it correctly because I was talking about the bacterium that were because I did a, an extraction of the soil biology to treat the soil that had been damaged. So that's what I was thinking like, and generally speaking, there has to be a yin and yang in, in life as well. So you know, theoretically there would possibly be another opposite, you know, proton charged uh, organism. But, you know, again, this is, this is way out in left field. So, well, I can't, I, I'm not sure. I, I mean, you could be absolutely right, but I, yeah, I, I really don't have a lot to add. I, I, there, there's one that's sort of related, but not. You know, we we owe Benjamin Franklin um, um, uh, the the honor of of having having labeled the electron negative and the proton positive. And um, at least for, for humans, and I, I think for plants too, negative charge is really important. The more negative charge we have, the healthier we are, and the more positive charge we're subjected to, um, the, the less healthy uh, we are. And there, there are a lot of evidence all over the scientific map to, to support that. So 
um, it, it turns out, um, you know, that negativity has a positive effect. If Benjamin Franklin had reversed the nomenclature and said that, let's call electrons positive and um, protons negative, then we could say a positive charge has a positive effect. Uh, it would be a lot easier, and more sensible instead of the opposite. But I, I guess we, uh, if we pay homage to Benjamin Franklin for his important discoveries and such, um, we we can't really challenge him on that. No, it's a little a little late for that. I I would say. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Um, another another really interesting thing about the heart. <clears throat> so. We all know you, you you can't compress water, and the cell is what percent water. So when 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 the 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 energy the the, the uh, positive charges around the artery or the capillary are helping to push that platelet through, is it twisting because it can't you can't compress it, or is it just elongating to get it through that tighter space? Well, the pictures that you see, I mean, this is direct evidence. You can see it on videos. Um, the red, red blood cell, which is really what, what we're talking about uh, mostly, uh, red blood cell has a shape of a kind of donut, um, you know, although the, it's not a complete hole in the middle. Uh, it, it's, um, it's a donut with some feeling in the middle. And it, it, it looks as though you're taking <laughs> this planar donut and bending it this way. Um, so you, you can imagine, um, you know, if you, if you have a flexible donut and try to push it through a vessel uh, of, of, of some sort, that, that's the way it would, you'd expect it to bend. And it's a fair amount of energy that uh, is required to do that. And also the other issue is that there must be some reason for it. Uh, nature, yeah, there you go. So there are red blood cells and and they actually will, will bend around, um, um, uh, if you take a midline uh, and, and, uh, and, and, um, and draw a line between the two halves of the cell, they'll bend around that line. Um, it's, it's, it's what the videos show. I don't know how much energy is required, but you can imagine it's a, a fairly substantial uh, amount. Um, um, and, and doing calculation, of course, all calculations uh, require assumptions, so you can never be sure. But I was totally shocked when these guys were telling me it's about one million times the pressure uh, that if a ventricle were responsible, it'd have to generate a million times the pressure that it actually generates. It's a lot of energy. Um, so, so, you know, if you think along those, those lines, um, if their calculation is even near being correct, even if it's off by a couple of orders of magnitude, it's still a huge amount of force of energy that's required, which, which um, implies, uh, that the ventricle may be responsible for only a, a very modest amount of, of the energy that's needed, the rest coming from, from the cells themselves, uh, I mean, from the vessels themselves. So it could be very substantial. I'm sorry, I deviated from your question. No, 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 that was, that was my whole point, was that the amount of energy that's in the body um, is clearly 
you know, as you said, the pump would, the, the heart would have to beat a million times harder to, to or create more pressure. Yeah. That's got to be pretty damn significant. That, that uh, That's very significant. Yeah. Right. And so I recently saw a paper talking about um, millivolts of a cell. And they said, you know, if you add up all the trillions of cells in our body and you, you know, put them together, then in many ways, the human, and I'm sure animals too, are in many ways generators of electricity. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, um, we're electrical generators. We run on electricity. Uh, the chemistry, biochemistry books and cell biology books uh, presents us uh, as uh, uh, chemical beings. More and more, it's pretty clear that we're electrical beings. Yeah. Uh, so the you know, it, it, so let let me step step back. So it was it seventy or eighty years ago? Um, the idea of ATP uh, uh, was discovered, and the idea the idea was that. Um, uh, adenosine triphosphate, one of the phosphate bonds of the three, three of them is a high energy bond. And that bond, that high energy bond is used to confer energy to whatever the body does. That's the ultimate source of energy. Well, um, a year later or two years later, uh, um, someone challenged that, that point of view. And I hadn't known about it, but Gilbert Ling on his website, gilbertling.org, still exists, points out, tells the story of that. So, so another group said, the first group who said there's a high energy bond, they made a, a simple arithmetic error. They screwed up. They're wrong. It's not true. Well, since then, so you have a, a hypothesis, and then you've got another group that says, you're all wet. Um, you're wrong. There is no such thing. And nobody has ever followed up on that. So in truth, we really don't know who's right. Is it the original perpetrators of this idea or is it the challengers who said there's nothing to it? We don't know. And um, that demands further exploration because- That, that is absolutely mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. Yeah, it might be all wrong, completely wrong. I don't know if it's wrong or right because the experiment or it, it needs to be addressed by somebody. And um, so, what I'm, I'm putting forth, uh, if, if it turns out uh, that it's wrong, um, and I don't know if it's right or wrong, there is another form of energy. It's the one I've been talking about, the electrical energy that comes from the water. You see, and, and there may be maybe a lot of energy that, uh, that comes that way because it doesn't come exactly from the water. It comes through the water by virtue of the energy that we're receiving all the time from the environment. And of course, um, the champion of all that are plants, which uh, get that energy uh, uh, perpetually, but we get it too. And so it might be, uh, again, I use the term might because uh, we don't know. It, it, it could be that our energy comes principally or even entirely from electrical energy. In other words, it could be that uh, much most or even even all is a, is a possibility of our energy is electrical, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, it's it's amazing that, that no one's really chased that rabbit because uh, that could change a lot of things. Uh, it could absolutely. You know the 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 um, 
biochemistry that's associated right now with the production of ATP is very complicated. Um, if you if you read the biochemistry book and go through all that, you you really have to scratch your head and try to understand all all the steps that are involved. Um, uh, and well, one likes to think that nature is simple. Nature works simply, but um, um, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's as simple as anybody wants to make it out to be. It, 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 indeed, it, it may not be. Well, we're certainly intricate because we have so many different uh, uh, components inside our body. There's no doubt it's intricate. But the question is about about the fundamental principles of um, how we operate. And I, I guess I find myself convinced that those principles, essential principles, are going to turn out to be simple, not complicated. Um, um. It's so complicated, it becomes simple. I, I'm sorry, once more? I said it's so complicated. Oh. Oh, my mic over. It's so complicated, it becomes simple. Oh, well, <laughs> that's one way of, uh, of looking at it. Yeah, you could, you could say that. Uh, the, the principle is, you know, is really far-reaching. This guy, uh, Sir William of, of Ockham, he was, he was talking about... Um, the existence of God. He 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 was a theologian, um, philosophical theologian, and he said, "Hey, there are two ideas here, competing ideas. God exists. God doesn't exist." He said, "The way to find out the truth is put up a hypothesis that God exists, and another hypothesis God doesn't exist, and whichever is the simpler one is probably the one that's going to be right." And then his ideas uh, remain dormant for a. Uh, a few centuries, and then Isaac Newton said, "Hey, this guy, this guy knew what he was talking about. Uh, let's apply the same to science." He said, "You know, we have two competing hypotheses to explain a certain phenomenon, and the simpler one is the one that's probably going to be right." And and that principle uh, uh, was taken up by scientists for hundreds of years, and it it was actually used, I think, usefully for, for many centuries until about 100 years ago with the advent of quantum mechanics and such, uh, where, where we're now kind of led to believe that, that in order to understand nature, we, we need abstract mathematics. It may be right, but, um, you know, um, some question is raised um, about whether mother mother nature really uh, really requires abstract mathematics um, to produce life uh, or produce nature and uh, i'm not so sure yeah. interesting stuff for sure um one real quick question the water that was sent to you was it alkaline uh uh I don't know that we measured the pH of the water. I, I can't recall. We may have, but I don't remember the result. Okay. It, All right. I, I would say probably it was uh, because, um, you know, we, we simply, uh, we, need, we need negative charges in, in our body. And if the water is, is healthful, it's going to probably have a higher pH. Um, and by the way, there's misinformation. A lot of people think that, if you drink water that's alkaline or so-called alkaline water, which has become somewhat controversial, um, 
that it'll get neutralized in the stomach anyway, so why bother because of the stomach acid? <laughs> you know, and that that's a, a good argument. However, uh, what people who who uh, who use that argument when they fail to realize is that the amount of stomach acid is very small. So if you drink a thimble full of, of water with high pH, yeah, it'll get neutralized by the stomach acid. But if you drink, a, you know, like a glassful, um, the volume overwhelms, greatly overwhelms the volume of stomach acid. So the effect is, is pretty minor. Um, uh, just a side comment. <laughs> yeah, no, that's always been a, a big question of mine is, you know, there's, you know, the companies as well as I do that make alkaline water and sell bottled alkaline water and the claims that they well, make. Well, I don't know them so well, but yeah, okay. But in, yes. in Japan, this is very popular. And um, I'm told, I'm told that if you go to Japan, um, if you, or you live in Japan and you have, you have uh, any gastrointestinal disorder, um, you know, from your mouth to your rear end, anywhere in between, uh, they'll pay for you to drink alkaline water, either either to get a machine that produces alkaline water or bottle alkaline water. I'm not sure of details, but I've heard from several people that that's what happens. So, so there may be something to it uh, because I know they they've done extensive tests in Japan, and I I, I haven't followed the counter arguments uh, in detail. So I, I'm not sure. Anyway, I make it a habit of, of trying to say nothing about any kind of commercial water because I, I, I feel, feel it's necessary to remain independent of any kind of product, any commercial product. Um, we're doing pure science. And um, I don't want even to cast the impression that we're favoring something because they're paying us or something like this. I can totally understand and appreciate that. So. Yeah. And thanks for answering that question because um, you probably shouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, so, so one more. Um, I've done a lot of work with uh, separating um, soil biology from um, different things, whether it be compost or soil. And part of the so you mean separating soil or soil biology, uh, soil biology. So extracting biology from different matrices, uh, everything from compost to to actual soil. And um, then I don't understand. Um, how do you? Say again? I don't understand. How do you extract biology from soil? Uh, I'll tell you. Um, so basically, I make a soft collider. So by that I mean. Um, if we were standing in water and I punched you, you would feel me, you'd feel the impact, but it wouldn't hurt. That's not true above ground or above water. So the concept was to brush organic matter together to peel off the humic fulvic acids as well as any of the protozoa, nematodes, fungi um, that were attached to that organic matter. Um, and then once you've extracted it now you've got a solid and you've got this liquid that i lovingly refer to as chocolate water um, and the chocolate water takes a long time for that that fine fine particulate to settle out so then now you have to dewater 
it. You have to you have to separate all of the water from the solids. The solids can then go back to the compost pile or back into the ground. But by dewatering it, you're extracting pretty much all of the biology that you potentially could extract from that material. Um, and in the dewatering process, I use vibration. I've tried presses. I've tried a bunch of different things. So, so this is leading to my question. Have you ever played with vibration and easy water in, in a tank to see if that did anything? Um, well, yes and no. We haven't done exactly what, what you're um, um, suggesting, but we did try sound. Uh, we put a sound transducer in the chamber in which we grew easy water uh, uh, to see what impact it had. And we found um, at least uh, frequencies around uh, 100, 200, or 50 hertz, audio frequencies, low, low frequency. We found no effect. Um, it, it was done in a fairly cursory way, and uh, I, I, we never published anything. We, we, it needs to be repeated to see if there are effects because because other people are finding definite effects um, on on plants and animals of using vibration the frequency. I, I remember, for example, I I remember in China, I was visiting China uh, one time. And there was a symposium going on. And I just happened to to uh, uh, show up at one of the uh, presentations, and it was a Chinese group, and they were working in the forest. They identified two forest regions which were very similar to one another, and in one they played music, the other they played nothing. And when they played music, the plants grew uh, in a more robust way. And and there are there are people now who. Um, uh, I, I I would have a hard time uh, finding the papers, but who are showing that some frequencies applied to uh, to plants can enhance their growth. And um, for for me, if if the plant if the sounds are enhancing growth, a good chance is that the sounds are having some impact on easy water. So I, I think it's a subject that that needs further study. Um, and you know, again, we'd love to do it, but we can do only so much. And, and we got to make you some more money so you can hire more students so that they can do the research. You took that right out of my mouth, Ken. Uh, <laughs> we got to find you more funding, sir. Um, yeah, and so the interesting thing was that, in, in my experience um, with doing this uh, stripping and dewatering when I do apply the liquid back to the soil, um, I get aggregation almost immediately. So I'm clearly charging the, the organic material that does pass through the, the micron screen that I'm using at this particular, whatever particular job I'm doing. Um, definitely is, is exciting the electrons and the protons because otherwise they wouldn't just naturally pull the aggregates together so quickly in, in, soil, like for instance, the sand and the clay platelets just seem to just right together real quick. So I got to believe that, that it is definitely affecting, um, the, the easy water that is in, in the organisms, in the biology itself, uh, well, because it, we get explosive growth. Well, it could be that, but you know, when, when things aggregate, there could be a, uh, a number of different reasons why, 
and uh, in in my fourth phase book, I I discuss that in detail. Uh, uh, for example, if you if you put two negatively charged blobs in water, um, you expect they're going to repel each other. But in fact, um, a number of people have shown, including us, uh, that they come together, they attract one another, and it's completely counterintuitive. But the reason, uh, and I'm not the one who came up with the reason, it was actually the great physicist Richard Feynman, um, who said, he called it like, likes, like. So if two like charges like each other, they come together. And that's what happens when you put the like charges in the water. They actually come together. You'd expect that they do the opposite, but they come together. And he said the reason they do that uh, is... So like, likes, like, so they like each other because of an intermediate of unlikes. So you got two negative charge blobs. And uh, if you got positive charges in between, they, they will attract. And that's what happens. And the reason you get the positive charges, we found, uh, oh, yeah, there's a nice book. <laughs> uh, the, the reason that you get the positive charges as easy water builds around each of those negative particles uh, protons are released and those protons are at high concentration between the two of them and so they're pulled together uh, we've confirmed that other people have confirmed that it's totally counterintuitive but the mechanism seems to be uh, that so they get close but they don't they don't connect they don't they can depending on the situation they can connect but uh, usually usually they'll be stable at some particular distance but you know if you can imagine, big spheres, um, um, they'll touch at one point, but uh, on top of and beneath yeah. this touching point, you could have a lot of positive charges that, that uh, keep the two spheres in contact with another. So um, it depends on, on it's a quantitative consideration. Usually they'll, they'll be at some distance apart, but sometimes they can touch. Fascinating, my friend, fascinating. Yeah, well, it's fun. And all of this is described in great detail. And I don't know where you got that slide, but uh, the book has, has turned out to be very, very popular. Um, and um, I, 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 I won't. Um, and there's, I won't. Very, uh, there's a lot of other books on, on Amazon, guys. So, you know, it's and audio books, movies, etc. Like there's cells, gels, the engines of life. You know, Gerald is, is well-written, and you guys should all be reading those books. And hopefully when you buy them, you're getting some royalties, my friend. <laughs> uh, well, I'll tell you about that. Uh, so uh, the publisher is me. Um, we publish our own book. It's called Ebner and Sons. And um, uh, Ebner is the nickname of my, <laughs> my son. And the reason for doing it that way is if uh, it's a scientific book and if you look at scientific books say on amazon you'll see them priced at um 100 or 200 dollars uh, it means that the publishers make money on the, the the number that they sell um and uh they don't sell too many because not too many people have it and we're interested uh, not in profit but in dissemination and so you'll find on amazon the price is i think less than 30 bucks um, and, and, and the reason, and it, it, it turns out that it is selling very nicely, but we, we don't really make money, uh, on this. It, 
it goes by my my son is not only the artist he's a professional artist and he's great if you look through if you flip through fourth phase you'll see wonderful art um but he runs he runs the publishing company too and takes care of all the stuff that i couldn't possibly take care of and the other advantage of that is that we can publish it as we like we can we can choose the format that's most appealing uh, we don't have to listen to uh, what a reviewer says about, oh, you know, you should remove this chapter because it's too speculative or something like that. We we publish it as we like uh, to publish it. And and so, um, yeah, there, if you look at the reviews, um, sometimes if I feel a little depressed on some day, I, I look at the Amazon reviews and I feel better. that's awesome uh silly lily you've been staying one question ahead of me which is fantastic yes you're i just want to check in you are you good for time or you want to have one last question well one last question is okay and then i i really gotta go thanks so much why don't you take that i've I've on the mic uh, if there's no questions in the audience uh of course i've got hundreds but uh but i'll is there is there one Ken or can I ask? Um, no, I I have a million questions, but I'm sure we're going to bring Gerald back on as soon as we can convince him to do so. You know, because this is an amazing conversation. But I'll let you ask the last question. I and it it may be a a, a boring question, but I was just interested. You, you you're you kind of um, mentioned something about UV and and that easy uh, easy water um, absorbs uh, UV. What's yeah. excitement there? Well, okay. Um, we're, we, a new, or not new anymore, a postdoc in my lab has been studying the effect of ultraviolet light um, on EZ. And we, we had some indication from older work that there might be something going on there. And, and she demonstrated it. What it does, um, um, UV light, and we, we uh, studied it around, around, a wavelength of roughly 270 nanometers. Um, what it does is increases the negative charge of the EZ. Doesn't expand the EZ, but it increases the negative charge. So basically, it imparts energy, uh, as well, but not by expanding the EZ, but by basically charging it up. Um, in a nutshell, that's uh, so we're we're trying to um, perfect the manuscript so that it's actually readable. <laughs> and we're working on that right now. And so thanks for that question. Um, well, thank you. Okay. Well, uh, my, my pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, it's always it's my favorite topic to talk about, um, easy water. And, um, you know, I apologize that what I have said maybe is not so directly applicable to... Uh, uh, soil, but uh, at least indirectly, it has a lot to say um, in that. I, I think there's a more direct correlation than you would like to believe, my friend, because it makes a lot of sense. And and Av and I were talking about this when we looked at your research. A lot of things popped into our head, going, "Well, this makes a lot more sense now on how plant reactions are, etc." So there I'm is sorry. a direct correlation, my friend. Well, yeah, I, I I hear you, and thank you very much for that. It, what I really meant to say is that we haven't been focusing on on, on soils and plants. Um, I don't mean to say that that I think there's 
there's no applicability of it. It's just that based on my training and my inclination and where I sit in uh, the university, is we've been focusing on animal cells mostly, not plant cells. And so, again, bacteria. It's all about or it's all about the biology, Ken. So well, yeah, that too. Yeah. So yeah, there's all, all the biology, right? It's um, a very deep connection. That's well, my you. thing, Doctor Polak. Is it's all about the the biology, and I learned that from from Leighton Morrison in the research he's done on the biology, and it all connects together. And we're gonna have to find you some money so that you can start working on on more experiments because. This is information that we really need to, to understand more about. I hope you're successful. We really need the money. And I don't like to spend so much of my time, which I'm doing right now, trying to raise funds. Um, it, it, it's uh, innervating. <laughs> aggravating, you said? Aggravating? No, well, that too. Aggravating and <laughs> enervating. Uh, we really have so much, I, I think, going on. But... Um, you know, when something is is new, controversial, uh, etc., it's difficult. Um, it's oh, I get difficult. that. Yeah. <laughs> Fifteen years in the trenches trying to explain people there is actually life under your feet. The <laughs> <laughs> NPK uh, does not help it. <laughs> uh, you understand very well. I do, sir. I do, and I, I so appreciate you you sticking it out for a whole hour and forty five and and letting us. Okay. Yeah, we've been Thank you very much. Okay, um, my pleasure. Okay, I uh, got to get down to the mundane things. <laughs> okay, we'll see you guys. You. Thanks for the opportunity. All right, thank you so much. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So, Silly, um, you're funny. You were, you're one question ahead of me every time. The studies that I've seen, yes, too, show classical music, for whatever reason, has the right vibration to vigor uh, plant growth. So spot on. Is that uh, Eastern or Western classical? No, that's a, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I don't remember what they, what they said, but um, I would just tend to think that, that vibrate, you know, the, the strings and the horns are the ones that are really creating that, uh, that stimulation of what easy water, right? What else is, what else is stimulating? And, and to draw it back to, uh, you know, Emoto's work as well. And, and uh, I think he, he showed with some of his pictures that mm -hmm. uh, I think it was Western classical music, you know, Brahms and Mozart and whatnot, um, that it did have a more crystal structure, more like the snowflake structure. And then heavy metal uh, had more of a uh, disturbance. <laughs> That's a nice way to put it out, but disturbance. And, I've seen and, those and, pictures too. And it parallels to to what easy water looks like. It's got that hexag hexagonal shape. Um, so it, it yeah, could could contribute a lot too. Well, and you look at the the work done with magnetism and magnets and moving uh, different materials around in the forms that they've uh, uh, come up with. It's the same basic research just on a different substance and it all you know, the positive, more positive vibration that you're putting out, the better the, the structure and more beautiful that structure is. And is it positive or is it negative? <laughs> now we're screwed. <laughs> well, the earth is at a negative uh, uh, charge. And when we're grounding, it helps our bodies. So I think they're more the negative on that side of it, but only in balance 
And it's really all about the balance. And you know, that's funny. Those Yok, I can never pronounce his name, uh, the Japanese water guy. I wanted to bring him up. Um, Yamoto. Yamoto, thank you. And also, whether he'd ever tried putting like a, a, a magnetic motor small enough into the easy water to see if that like prevented that magnetic uh, connection that spun the spun the motor. Because uh, have you ever seen that? I, I didn't yeah. run across that one in his research. No, I, no, I, I, haven't, I haven't seen it in his work either. Uh, yeah. But again, he's got so many friggin' experiments that he wants to do, and he just doesn't have the fucking money, which is, again, shame on the world, but we won't go there today. <laughs> well, I think that's where the cannabis community, this is stuff that we really need to understand and, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, of people out there that do have those types of funds. If they wouldn't uh, mind, you know, donating a very small amount, it doesn't take a lot of people to add up to, you know, one or two or three researchers that he can hire and put in the lab to run these experiments. Well, now we're a fundraiser. <laughs> for, for the biology, my friend, it's all about the biology. We got to oh. fix that problem. And I think this is part of the solution and understanding it is what we need to, to be able to take to the governments, et cetera, to say, force them to go like, look, we have to change or else, you know, we're not going to just not be here. We're killing us very quickly if we don't change. Oh, well, that's pretty much obvious at this point. Again, I didn't want to go there in the conversation because it's just not pretty. But that being said, if you, you know, if in your spare time, Ken, set up a GoFundMe and we'll start raising money on this channel and say, hey guys, come on, man, we, we gotta get, we gotta get Jerry some more money. We gotta get, we gotta get the behind this because in many ways it is everything, right? Water is life. So yes. the work he's doing is affects everything across the board mm -hmm. so i think if there's any cause uh that that could be considered the most crucial for humanity the study of water would be it because like just thinking about cleaning like one of the one of the things in his book he talks about scrubbing water and mm -hmm. using using these charges to push the the pollutants out so that we would have clean easy water to drink so, not, so again, it's the foundation of all life. But I, now I'm getting, I'm getting heated. <laughs> well, and consider when, when Kevin Jodry was juicing the cannabis leaves, he was drawing that out as well. And is that what Korean natural farming is doing? Drawing out using the sugars to draw out the easy water from that cell structure. Is it all interlinked? Well, yeah, it is. As far, at least as far as as empirical evidence that I've seen from hundreds and hundreds of different people that are putting out content on this type of thing. Agreed. And, and Luna's work with juicing as well, right? So, uh, yeah, I think it's... Yeah. And Av, we got to get money for you too so you can hire some more people in your labs and, and get more research done. I, I think, you know, it's interesting because I think Elaine is is one of the, you know, pioneers of, of how you can get marginalized when you are contradicting Yes, uh, the yeah. norm. I mean, the, the idea that ATP uh, may not be the, the driving energy force. Well, that's really going to affect the phosphorus uh, uh, fertilizer industry, wouldn't it? Right. Um, so, so, so uh, yeah, it's going to be a bit of a challenge. And, and, you know, water is just viewed as 
as a conduit, not a not an energy maker. And so, so it's 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 definitely um, it's it's great to have people like Jerry and Elaine who are are challenging the system and uh, and you and Layton and a lot of others out there too. Yeah, it's uh, definitely hard to get the funding. So, <laughs> so that's why it, it it it's a lot about getting out there and practicing it and. And, and, and truly, you know, understanding it. So, you know, getting out, juicing our, you know, getting out there, taking, um, you know, juicing our cannabis leaves for our, for our, our own health and getting out as, as Leighton said, just getting out in the sun um, and, and, yeah. and uh, you know, going for the saunas like that infrared saunas or, or just any sauna, you know, getting that and seeing how that feels. Grounding. A lot of hot yoga places are using um, UV as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, UV or infrared? Oh, maybe it is infrared. Maybe it is. I think you can use far UV because far UV does not. Um, and and two seventy is kind of in that far UV range. Well, because when I've done hot yoga, that's they all have those red lights across the top. I don't know exactly what they're generating, but they're red. Yeah, and that's that could be the the infrared, um, and 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 yeah, that'd be amazing. Well, Ab, do you have your copper plate under your feet right now as well? I actually don't have my grounding mat. Um, what? I, I was looking for it for my wife, and uh, I mean, right now we're sleeping on on a, a grounding mat, but yeah, we don't have the, the the little one under my foot. Bad boy, bad boy. Yeah. Don't know. We got lost in the last cleaning. <laughs> it's where you haven't looked yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, guys. That's well, this an oxymoron, Layden. Now oh. it's an oxymoron. <laughs> so, next week, I'll see you in Edmonton. Um, I'll probably yep. be popping by uh, the booth uh, many times. Um, but uh, well, we I'll actually got confirmation we're supposed to have the OG's Power Hour and the Soil Matters in the consumption area. They're supposed to be setting us a table to do live interviews from there um, in the Bovita consumption area. So, you know, you guys are going to be having to come there, you know, and, and relax and consume and, and have a chat with us uh, in those areas, too. So, so sorry, uh, you will take live video and then upload it. No, we're going to be live streaming the event. We can do it through cell phones. And so we'll be live streaming from the event for the three days and doing interviews. Not so much, you know, um, watching the speakers give their talks, but doing interviews with the speakers, with the people that are um, have products at the event. We're going to be doing uh, three days of, of interviews, basically. We should we wow. should ask our community um, who, who come and join us here to look over the uh, speakers list. 120. We had Randy Rowe on the OG's Power Hour this morning. There's 120 speakers, guys. Super. If they wow. if they if they have a speaker there that they want to ask a question to, well, fire it fire it to you and uh, please and, yeah and we'll, and- we'll track down the speaker. And I'll have I'll have Av sitting there asking them because he'll grab them and just haul them over. Okay, here, sit down, answer this question, please. Layton, that goes for you too. What time are you arriving on Monday, Layton? Are you going to be there early enough to do the show on Monday? No, no, I don't get there till I don't know four. And Av, how do I get from the airport to where you are? Is there a shuttle? Uh, 
we'll we'll probably either Uber or we'll find a volunteer to pick you up. How okay. about okay? I got a volunteer. Her name is, is my wife, and you know I think that uh, that she would be more than willing to pick you up from the airport, Leighton, and, and bring. All you right. To so Ab's got my itinerary. Um, so just shoot it off to Ken, and then he'll know when I come in. Perfect. I'll I'll confirm that with with Randy. But uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks so much for coming uh, to Edmonton. Coming out of my shell, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you might want to bring a mask. It, it probably is a little smoking up there. So. Um, well, that's fine. It's, the smoke doesn't affect me. Well, yeah. it does affect me in a positive way, unless I consume too much. <laughs> yeah. no, I'm, he's talking the wildfires that we have Wild in Alberta. Fire. I can't see a mile down the road. There's so much smoke in the air right now. Yeah. Well, fortunately for you and I, Ken, we smoke cigarettes. So our lungs are used to being tortured. So it doesn't affect us like it does other people. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> no, seriously. I was, talking, I was talking with a guy who does um high mountain training he does he trains uh you know these elite military guys in high altitude training exercises and he said because you smoke it would be easier for you to live in that environment or to adjust to that environment quicker it's weird and and another thing too is people don't understand is tobacco is an antibacterial antifungal antiviral so that's why I, I didn't catch the COVID was because I smoke. And, and that's the only thing I can attribute it to because I was around a lot of people that had it either before, after, or when they were supposedly coming down with it. So I, I don't know any other way to explain it, but there was a woman who was hired by the CDC to study the effect that the virus was potentially going to have on smokers. Mm -hmm. And she came back and said, don't worry about smokers. They're not going to get it. And even though the, the word was opposite and all the advertising, you're saying, oh, immune compromised people, people that smoke, you need to get the vaccines, you need to do this, you need to do that. And, and they, they stuffed her, they stuffed stymied her so that that information didn't get out because all people really had to do was get a nicotine throat spray and they would have prevented them from getting, it would get into your nose, but it can't get down into your lungs and therefore it can't affect you. Interesting. But, yeah, yeah, there's, and I, I have the paper somewhere that she cited uh, about all of this. And, but no, they, they wanted us to take the vaccine. I'm sure everybody knows. Are we still live? Oh, shit. I did I, 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 I yeah. it off before Neil Young gets upset with us. Um, yes. I will, I will uh, see you next week. All right, peace okay, out, guys. guys.